Well, thanks for joining us today on this holiday weekend. I want to take a moment before I dive into my message to pray. And uh, I want to pray for uh, those that are grieving this weekend as we remember those we've lost, particularly those uh, who in the military have given the ultimate sacrifice for us. And so I'm just going to take a moment and pray. If you would join me. Lord, come before you this morning very grateful. Lord, grateful to live in a nation where we can practice our faith without persecution and hindrance, Lord, by our government. Father, we're just thankful that you've orchestrated something in the nation that, that has empowered us to be able to raise up missionaries and ministers and different people through the last recent centuries and have an impact on the planet uh, through the gospel. Lord, we're thankful for this place that you've given us to live in this nation. Father, we remember those that have served and those that have given their lives, Lord, for us to, to live in this nation. Father, I pray for those that grieve as they remember, Lord, that you would comfort them. Lord, that you would be with them, those families that have lost loved ones. And Lord, we, uh, we honor them today. Thank you, Lord. Father, we pray for our nation. Lord, that your hand would continue to lead us. Lord, that you would continue to cause there to be ministers and missionaries and people for the kingdom of God raised up here and sent out to the ends of the earth to accomplish your purposes, Lord. Father, to extend your kingdom where you are the authority. You are the king. And Father, we pray that your hand would guide us. Father, we pray that we would continue to be spared of persecution here, Lord, as we go about our work. But God, let us not take it for granted either. This great opportunity that we have in the place that we live. Pray for your blessing upon this nation in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you that were uh, were unaware or were unable to attend, we just got back from three days of Regions Beyond Conference in Missoula, where we gather, we say gather to God. We're a group of churches in the U.S. here that call ourselves Regions Beyond. We're part of a, a movement of churches, and we relate to one another. We came together for several days to worship, to hear from the Word, to pray and minister into one another's lives, and it was just an outstanding time. There's been a number of testimonies of healing already that have come out of that, and hopefully we're going to hear some more about that in the days ahead, and, and it just raised the level of expectancy. I, I, I got to tell you, honestly, I, you know, people have been asking me how I felt about it, and how did it go, and I got to tell you, it's quite possibly not not for not because of great preaching, not because of great messages or great worship necessarily, although all those were there. Uh, but it, it really it's been the first time in a long, long time that I really felt like God moved in powerful ministry amongst His kids, and I just had not experienced that for a long, long time. It was very, very refreshing to me, and so uh, I know that we. You know, like I prayed for healing this morning, we believe that God wants to move in power amongst his people always. We believe that he still moves in power in the church. We still believe that he wants to, you know, you activate gifting and move in miracles and those kind of things to, for, not for the purpose so we can hang out in these four walls and enjoy it, but that so we would be activated and motivated to glorify God in the world. And that's what I'm going to talk about today is the world. If you have brought your Bible, would you uh, turn to... No surprise, John chapter 15. We've been hanging out there in recent weeks, and I want to 
unpack the remaining parts of that chapter uh, with you today. Uh, because I was at a conference and very busy last week, I actually was in another thing I should tell you about. Uh, I had the opportunity to go to Spokane early last week. We have a couple of churches there. And uh, one of the churches in particular, having come back from Greece, where you know Jan and I were in Greece, Jen Reba was in Greece, we had a number of leaders in Greece from our other churches, uh, they came back and, and God just activated something in that church called River's Edge in Spokane. We got to hear testimony of that. But I got the opportunity to travel over there and pray with them and get to meet some of their leaders. And uh, so that was really exciting. But I was very busy last week, so I'm, I'm punting a little bit this week with my message. Um, not, not really too much, but um, I'm just trusting that God is going to lead us through the Scripture. I have a number of Scriptures to cover with you. And what I think is a really important message for the church today, in general, in its, in its essence, is so important for us to continue to wrestle with some of these issues. Uh, let's read John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25. Jesus has been talking to his disciples, and it's in this gap of time between him being betrayed and the Last Supper. It looks, According to John, it looks like he just did a ton of investment in his disciples right there in that moment in time. And this is part of that in John chapter 15. We've been talking about it in recent weeks. And Jesus goes on from what we talked about earlier, and he says this, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. That's a little uncomfortable. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Anybody uncomfortable? It's an uncomfortable thought that the world would hate us. Now we talked a couple weeks ago now, it's been, so I'll refresh your memory, but we talked about the Hebrew definitions of love and hate. And we contrasted that with the idea of the Greek love and hate. And sometimes when we reflect on how our English American kind of way of thinking about things is sometimes affected by ancient philosophies and things like that, and it's not always necessarily accurate. But the Hebrew understanding of the word love was to give preference to. Okay, the Greek idea of the word love is that emotional love. Now, they're not entirely uh, separate from one another. You know, we talked about the idea of being in marriage and preferring your spouse and how true, a real deep love develops over time with that commitment and that effort to prefer the other person. And a lot of times in our society, because love is simply defined as the emotional component of love, once that emotional component fades, we believe that we are no longer in love, which is totally inaccurate in the biblical sense. So even when we don't have the emotion, but we still give the commitment and the... Uh, preference to the other person. That's what really what love is. Hate, in the same way, is not the emotion of rage and anger that we feel towards someone because we've been wronged, although that is a component of it. Hate is to not prefer. So when God said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, we're like, wait, what? How could God hate? Because in our mind, when we hear hate, we hear that Greek emotional reactionary thing towards somebody. But the biblical understanding of that is to choose something over something else. I chose Jacob over Esau. I preferred Jacob. I did not prefer Esau. It's still harsh and kind of hard to understand, but it is very real. It says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. 
We've got to remember that when we're looking at this passage. The world does not prefer us. The world does not prefer Jesus, and therefore does not prefer us. It doesn't give us that preferential treatment. It doesn't give itself to us. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. It does not choose you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Here's a tough one. Whoever hates me hates my father also. You ever read these passages of Scripture and you just kind of wrestle a little bit with them? I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world. This is Jesus talking about his disciples. I'm going to come back to that in a bit. We are reminded here that there is a cost sometimes to following Christ. And sometimes, you know, we see this in other cultures where there's persecution and there's trials and tribulation. One of the main things that um, people that are doing the persecuting try and do is they try and cause people to renounce their faith, to deny Jesus. The world wants us to renounce our faith in Christ, to take back what we believe and claim that we don't believe it. There's pressure there. There's a cost. And what happens is under that pressure, people do give in. They cave in under the pressure of the world and begin to retract themselves from their faith. But it's not just in that context in which people walk away from faith. It's under the pressure even that we feel in our free nation in our very wealthy society, we still are under pressures that cause us to renounce our faith and to walk away from what we believe. We're under pressure for that, to do that. And there's a cost. And sometimes we need to count the cost and realize it might cost us something to follow Christ. And the idea that the world around us would not accept us, not love us, not give us preferential kind of treatment is frustrating thought. And it makes us want to give up sometimes. Because it's not fun to not be liked, is it? It's not fun to be the one that isn't accepted. Just like we've seen in these other parts of John, Jesus sets himself up as an example. He set himself up as the vine that we need to connect to. He's our source, our example. And again, he's our source. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If you accept what Christ is doing, you can expect to get the same treatment. And in some places, that's much more tangible than it is here. But why is that? Jesus says something key here, that he's taking people out of the world and making them his own. There's a removal from, what I want to focus on today, the world system. There are two kingdoms at work here. There's a situation of adversity. There's a collision of things. And God is taking people out of the world through His Son, Jesus Christ, and making them part of His kingdom. And in doing so, there's a collision of ideas or thoughts, a separation that takes place. Why? Because God is holy. You know what holy means? 
It's like set apart for God's purposes. One of the best words that I ever, in studying the word holy, is the word other. He is other. If everything in our understanding is in a worldly context, he is other. He is separate. He is removed from, far above. That's what God is. And in his holiness and his love for us, he takes us out of a worldly system and makes us, makes us part of his kingdom. But there are consequences that come with that. I want to tell you a little bit about some persecution that goes on in the world today. Some of my information, my dates, my timelines might be a little off because it's been a few weeks since I was looking at this. But have you heard of the BBC? Yeah, you know what that is? The, the British something. Thank you. You're familiar with it. I do not expect sympathetic information from the BBC. We don't ex- Christians don't get sympathy in that form of media. And so when they report something on Christian persecution, I paid attention. But the BBC reported a couple weeks ago on a report that was ordered by the Foreign Secretary of the United Kingdom. His name is Jeremy Hunt, and I'm going to read straight from some of the information out of there. In some regions, the level and nature of persecution is arguably coming close to meeting the international definition of genocide, according to that adopted by the United Nations. So according to the the UK government report, and according to definitions of the United Nations, the level of deaths associated with being Christian are approaching the levels of genocide. People are being killed for their faith all over this world. The review, led by the Bishop of Truro, will look at government efforts to help some of the 215 million Christians who faced discrimination and violence last year, according to the Foreign Office. Officials say violence against Christians is rising dramatically, with an average of 250 killed every month. That's another report by Open Doors USA, which is sympathetic to Christianity. says the average of 11 per day are killed for their faith. Imagine today that 11 people will die because of what they believe. 2,625 are detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned. 1,266 buildings were attacked last year, this last, in the last 12 months. 1,266 buildings, church buildings, were attacked last year. You guys know about the bombings in Sri Lanka, about 350 people. Islamic extremists go in, detonate bombs, kill a bunch of people in Sri Lanka, island off the coast of India. If you weren't familiar with that, just as just recently, that was Easter. Since Easter, we had Nigeria. There was two different attacks, 40 people killed, 25 people killed. Burkina Faso, there was six people killed. And I read the account of that. They, they went, these, again, it was extremists. They rolled in kind of as a motorcycle gang, actually. Brought all the church people outside and took the pastor's son behind the building and shot him, killed him. Went and went to the father, said, you need to deny Christ. Said, it won't do it. Took dad out back, executed him. Six people in that incident. This was just two and a half weeks ago. It's very, very real that the world hates those that follow Christ. The worldly system. Sometimes we need to be careful, and I'll get into it, about separating people and the world and what that is. China, China right now, we have regions beyond connections in China, and the message coming out of China right now is this is the worst we've seen it in a long time. The government has been cracking down hard on the underground church in China. 
because you have to be authorized under a communist government uh, in order to be a Christian. The, the philosophy behind communism doesn't allow for faith unless it's controlled by the state. And Christianity goes beyond the boundaries of governments, and it doesn't really work very well for the Chinese government. Korea is actually the number one rated persecutor of Christians. I thought that was interesting considering all of the uh, Islamic extremism that we, we know, and actually a vast majority of the nations that are the largest persecutors are persecutors because of that. But the number one nation was Korea, and it has to do, North Korea, because it has to do with the communist government. It has to do with the regime there. It's no problem for them to execute you simply because of what you believe, which is almost unfathomable considering the things that we, you know, when we get into the, the, the minutia of discrimination in this nation and reaching for equality and how that works in our situation and, and in their situation, simply because you believe something, you're executed. Very difficult. They're a very difficult place. Iran, obviously, is one of the top ones. Korea has been number one for 18 years, which is crazy. There's a nation, part of Indonesia, called Brunei. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Uh, they have just adopted Sharia law as their law for their nation. And they've slowly integrated it and made it more and more extreme. And now it's to the point where execution is allowed by law if you renounce Islam. If you, if you retract your faith in Islam, if you're converted to another faith, that's payable by your death. Forced divorces, not allowed citizenship, and now execution is a part of it. The Christians all over this world are being persecuted. Actually, that reminds me, I want to tell you about something else. Yesterday when we were in Missoula, most of you, if you've been around any length of time, you know who Donna Bloomfield is. We've had her here in the church. She, she lives in England, but she does a significant work in the nation of Burundi, where we had the, the uh, Hutus and the Tutsis, the two tribes, that just wiped out hundreds of thousands of people in their genocides towards one another. It's a very, very uh, impoverished and violent place. And she works into there. You, many of you have been giving on a regular basis to what Don is doing. She's teaching them uh, a way of farming that's been ridiculously productive for them because they're starving. And so they're, they're raising up these farmlands, but there's serious oppression and some, some things going on that are very unsafe and dangerous, even for Donna being there. And people are starting to, some of these farmers that they've gotten to do this are actually starting to fall away from the farming that's only, only been going on a year. They have just the most significant crops that anyone in the area has seen in recent years last year. And so they're very excited about it. But now we're getting to about several months from harvest yet, and they're, they're so hungry, they don't have the energy to go out and do the farming. So the, a lot of the farmers are just, and they told a story of a starving five-year-old child that was brought in this ugh, persecution and difficulty. We took up an offering yesterday in Missoula that exceeded 20000 U.S. dollars out of a group probably smaller than this to go towards the work in Burundi. And I want to tell you, if you want to give towards that situation, um, we have other information and things like that. Mark something that you drop in one of our giving stations for Burundi. We're transferring money regularly to that situation, and we've had you know we know these people personally, and and are connected to them directly. So we just want to continue to do that. But that's another situation. The persecution is very real, and I guess we could talk all day about the persecution in the church, but I think it's something that we as Americans need to from time to time uh, bring ourselves into, bring that into our scope and our point of view and our vision. 
and uh, bring some reality sometimes to our situation and help us get motivated for ourselves and for what we're doing here. On in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples, and I started reading this to you earlier, but he's praying, and he says, I have given them, meaning the disciples, the people that were following Christ, your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. What do we draw out of this? That we are not of the world. When we were adopted as sons and daughters of God, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, and the old us died and the new us was born, and we were adopted into the family of God, we were separated from the world. But it's not so that we can be taken out of the world, but that we can spread that message here on earth. That that transformative power of God, that resurrective power, would be given to the rest of the world, any that might believe. That's our job while we're here. Jesus said, I'm not going to take you with me when I go. I'm leaving you here because there's work to do. But I do pray that you would be kept from the evil one. There is an evil one. We'll talk a little bit about that. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So there's this system in the world. The scripture refers to it in different terms, and we see it in different Lots and lots of different stories, but basically what I want to talk about is the world system. What does it mean? What is it? We see that in creation, the world, the creation became corrupted. It was corrupted by an adversary, an accuser, a serpent, Satan, tempted Eve and Adam, and they caved in and they fell in sin. What is sin? Anything that is misaligned from God. Even if we understood all the sin that we read about, we're still, even if we could do everything perfectly, we still wouldn't be perfect. There's sinful nature inside every single one of us that compels us to do the wrong thing sometimes. Sometimes I don't think we need a devil. we got enough trouble of our own with ourselves. There's something that happened. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine this last week, and it just sort of uh, kind of came out. I think it was God, but... One thing we need to recognize about the story of creation is we allied ourselves with Satan's rebellion. When we chose to disobey God and when we choose to disobey God, we are ally, allying ourselves, is that a word? We are making an alliance with the rebellion of Satan, his rebellion against God, his attempt to set himself up as the one to be worshipped. We don't like to talk about Satan because in America we don't believe, you know, there's not a lot of depth of spiritual thought or spiritual realm. In Africa, it's a whole different story. Very real that there's a spiritual realm. Very real that there's evil. Very real that there's demonic manifestations. There's definitely, that is definitely going on in the world. But the whole, cre whole of creation collapsed into this corrupt situation where sin brought death into the world. And now we have sickness, we have death. We're not walking in what was originally designed in God's creation. And that's, that's why we go back to that initial story, because it sets the stage for the rest of the story of God. And we see this division take place. There's the world system, and there's God's system, and they're opposed to one another. Jesus was called the light of the world. You are called the light of the world. You as an individual are a light in the world. Someone prayed for me this morning that I would be a light in the world. Why? The world concept, the world situation is dark, and God has given light through his children 
to be spread into the world around. Again, there's a contrast taking place. Light and dark, good and evil, worldly thinking, kingdom thinking, the kingdom of God. John, of all of the writers in the Gospels and in the New Testament, uh, who we're looking at now in this chapter 15, is the predominant one who draws this idea. I mean, multiple times he talks about the world or being of the world or the situation of the world. He really is drawing the attention of the reader to the idea that there's this contrast taking place. It's important for us as believers to be thinking about this. Now, I want to talk about something that makes people uncomfortable as well. And it's the idea that Satan is the prince of this world. Jesus talks about this several times. And I think God doesn't tell us a lot about Satan on purpose. Now, some people think Satan is a metaphorical kind of idea about evil. Or, you know, we, we don't, we're not getting into any of that. We believe Satan was a being. He was an angel. He worshipped God. And he fell from that in rebellion. And he was instrumental in the corruption of mankind and the creation. So that's what we believe. And Jesus refers to him as the ruler of the world, the prince of the world, different things like that. We're going to look at this for just a few minutes. But I do think that God doesn't tell us a lot about Satan because just like everything else, we have this tendency to focus on the thing instead of the creator. So when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, sometimes we just become so enamored with the gifts that we forget the giver. Sometimes with worship, we get so enamored with the mode of worship that we forget the one we're worshiping. Sometimes when we're reading the truth and we're trying to find what the right thing to do in a certain situation is, we get so enamored with the idea or the concept of being right that we forget the one who gave us what is right. None of, none of our accomplishments can be facilitated without relationship to God. And in the same way, if God gave us tons and tons of information about El Satan, the adversary, the accuser, we would probably spend most of our time trying to deal with the devil rather than trying to focus on God. You can focus on the devil all you want. You're not going to win. You've got to put your eyes on your maker, the one who gives the grace, the one who gives the power, the one who this is all about. We can't get too enamored with evil. We can't get too enamored with ourselves and all those kind of things because it draws attention away from God. I think God did that on purpose in the scripture. If I know us, we would be probably putting way too much time and energy into focusing on that. There's adversity, opposition, competition with this ruler of the world. And Jesus talks about him now is the judgment of the world. Okay, we, we obviously know this wasn't a judgment of all of the humans on the planet. We know that that day is coming. But with what Jesus did on the cross, he brought judgment into the world system. You understand what I'm saying? Sin dominated. Evil dominated in the world. Man had no way really to get to God. Prior to Christ, there was no way, and he made a way, and he said, I am the way. Through Christ, we were able to come out of this worldly system, and so he brought judgment into the world system. The ideas, the sin, the things of God, uh, the things of evil that set themselves up against God, Jesus came in and said, I'm making a way to cover over the sin. The thing that has corrupted my creation, I'm going to pay a price that those who would access it would be able to reconcile themselves to their maker. It's really important that we understand this. The ruler of this world be cast out. We have authority now as believers to deal with evil. You know, one of the major things that Jesus did on a regular basis was he dealt with demonic power and he dealt with sickness. 
There was very, very little, if any of that, in the Old Testament. Very, very rare. And nothing, I don't think, that we see about the casting out of demons. Jesus did that. He brought a new kingdom, a new idea in. A a reconciliation back to God. So there's good and there's evil in the world. I do want to draw attention back one scripture because I think it's important for us to realize this. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. I think we can work ourselves into a situation where we don't think there is truth. Where everything's ambiguous and up to the individual. It's not a biblical worldview. There's right and wrong in the world. There's truth and there's false. And in some things it's very difficult to discern. In some ways, some things we will never know. But we do need to be wrestling with what is true. And not just letting the opinions of our society or the opinions of our friends or our own little gut reactions be what determines our truth. God teaches us in His Word to seek Him. Look for Him. Pursue Him. He is the epitome of the essence of truth. All truth is found in Him, in and of Himself. So we look in His Word and what He's spoken, and we know that there's a sanctification that comes in our life, a transformation as the truth comes in and overhauls us as we realize that things are true, and we realize who God is and what His nature is. It starts to transform us as truth comes in. You know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Nice to be free. Don't you love it when a chain comes off? And I think, did we sing something about chains this morning? We sang so many songs in the last four days. I'm sure there must be one of them had some chain breaking going on in the song. When Jesus comes, he breaks those chains of the worldly system, the worldly concepts, the worldly ideas, the falseness, and it breaks off of us, and we recognize how we were truly made and who we were truly called to be, and God draws us near to him in that. We do have an adversary, though, someone who has authority in the world. You know, Jesus was tempted by Satan himself. You know the story. Jesus goes out in the wilderness. He's fasting for 40 days. Satan tempts him. And you'll notice something interesting about the final temptation that Satan has for Jesus. I don't have the scripture because I wasn't digging into it. But in the final temptation, he takes him to a high place, and he says, look at all this. Look at this world. Look at all these kingdoms of the world. Look at all this. I will give all of this to you. How could he do that? Because he has authority over the world system. He has authority over all those things, all that corruption that sets itself up against God. Now, God is sovereign over all his creation, we believe. God could squish Satan any second if he wanted to. But Satan has authority in the world. He's caused this corruption into creation, and he has become our adversary, who we have allied ourselves with by our own sin. That's a gross thought to think about, by the way, isn't it? The idea that I made an allegiance with Satan, but that's what sin causes us to do. We are in alignment with his process, his system, his ideology, his beliefs, rather than separating ourselves from his system, which is the world system, and allying ourselves with God's thinking, God's truth, who he is, drawing near to him. Jesus was tempted, and and Satan had that authority to give that to him. In the book of Revelation, when, when John's writing the, church, the letters to the churches in the church of Pergamum, he says something that just blows our mind when he says, when he's writing to the church in Pergamum, and he refers to Pergamum as the place where Satan has his throne. We don't understand how the Spirit 
realm works. We don't know. We, we know that there's personification that comes with it so that we can comprehend. We don't really know what that means, but we know it's very real. That we have an enemy, an adversary, an evil one. What is the, what's the Lord's Prayer? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one, depending on the translation. Why? There is a worldly system that's evil that we are tempted by. And it's important for us then to begin to evaluate and say, am I allied with the world here, a worldly system? Am I, am I in allegiance with something that is false by what I believe or how I behave or those kind of things? Listen, we are always going to be wrestling with sin. This is no, I, I don't want you to hear condemnation out of what I'm, say, what I'm saying, that somehow we're going to achieve perfection in our behavior and God's angry if we don't. We have grace, okay? But this does draw attention to why a grace that is abused is wrong. When we abuse grace in order to participate in the worldly system, it is in stark contradiction to what God wants from us. God didn't give us a grace so that we could go ahead and behave in the worldly pattern. He gave us grace that we could overcome the worldly pattern. It's different. Okay, you guys, you've heard, those of you who have been around a while, you know, I, I really get on my soapbox about this, you know, what, what we call greasy grace or abused grace and those kind of things. Look, God lavishes his grace on us. I don't want to make light of that. And we sin every day. We are just, in our nature, we're sinful. We need it every single day. But the minute we take that grace and use it as our excuse to participate in the worldly system, believing that somehow now that behavior in the worldly system is okay, we have abused the grace of God. It's wrong. There's a worldly system that we are called to leave behind, not participate in. It's the, it's the system of sinfulness. It's, this, it's the system of rejecting God. It's the system of having other gods. You look at the Ten Commandments, they're just very basic, fundamental, foundational components. Thou shall not lie. There's lies, there's truth. You know, God values very basic things. And when we pull ourselves out of alignment with his design and what he wants and what his attention, intentions are, we're out of alignment and we're participating in a worldly system. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Let me remind you of this. This is one of those passages that always makes me uncomfortable. But I love cookies. Okay, that's not what we're talking about here. I mean, when I was a little kid, I figured heaven must be full of awesome water slides. It's not, not that I loved worldly things. That's not what I was talking about here. Remember, and also the idea, the idea of the word love, that we would give preference to the world and the world's system over God and God's system. That's what this is about. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why? Because he's preferring the word, world over God. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. See the opposing things here? Not from the Father, but from the world, two different things that are opposing each other, and the world is passing away. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's look at another one. Religion, okay, we love the first part of this passage, and it's good. We need to be wrestling with these things. I'm thinking about Donna working in Burundi and, and talking about helping in these persecuted situations, and sometimes I just go, 
what am I doing in my own community? What am I doing amongst the people I know? It can be really easy for us. Like, I can stand up here and preach and rally us to give a bunch of money to Burundi, and people will be on board for going there on a mission trip, and it would be intense, and it would be awesome, and it would be for God. And then I can't take on that same mentality for the poor in my neighborhood. So we do have to wrestle with these things about how we're living the mission, as our mission statement says. Not we do it locally, we do it regionally, we do it globally, all of it. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. Great imagery here that helps make my point. That we are in a, we're in, you heard the saying, be in the world and not of the world. We are in the world. Jesus didn't remove us from the world. We don't go build a compound in the mountains to isolate ourselves from the world. Okay? We are, we are meant to be fully integrated into our world around us in the sense of participating in life in order that the fragrance of Christ would be spread to the world around us. But in that process, we are not to become stained by the world. What does that mean? We take on worldly things and we mix them into our theology and we end up in, we don't, I mean, nobody thinks that outright. I'm going to add this to my theology. But our behavior starts to show that. Our actions, what we teach and how we influence others becomes influenced by the world. So when we're wrestling with what is true, when we're wrestling with what is right, when we're wrestling with what is good and what action to take, we need to recognize whether or not we're allowing the world system, the system of sinfulness, the, sin, the world that is reigned over by another, is influencing or causing us to decide what our truth is or what action we're going to take or how we're going to behave. We do need to wrestle with what right and wrong really are. And it's not because God's sitting up there going, you better do the right thing. You make one mistake, I'm going to squish you like an ant. I'm going to strike you with a lightning bolt. When we take on that view of God, listen, that, that's to ignore the scripture to take on that view. We don't want to do that. What is God's motive? I hope you, I hope you, I've said it a lot. I hope you, what's God's motive? Love. For God so loved the world. Come on. What's his motive? Because he cares. Does God want to pour out his power upon us that we might see healing, might see people saved, might see addictions broken off of people and lives transformed for nothing? So that we can just be like, yeah, we're the coolest. No. Because he loves those people. Because he wants to pour out his loving kindness on people. And he uses us to do it. He uses us to do it. In his mysterious way he's partnered with man and it seems like a bad idea to me sometimes but it seemed right to him and so i'm on board we don't want to become stained by the world we don't want to be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind by testing we are to test we are to wrestle with things we are to try and draw nearer to god not that we can stand in our pulpit and go, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. Being right doesn't really get you anywhere. It's helpful. But if our attitude is wrong, what good is it? But that we would test and discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect, 
that we might continue to walk in His blessing and His power. The Bible teaches that what, what we sow, we will reap, right? The seeds that we cast on the ground, it will produce things. And when we, produ- when we, when we are doing things that aren't in alignment with God, it will produce fruit. It's just not going to produce the fruit you want. So when we sow into our sinful nature, when we sow into false things, when we sow, sow into hatred for others or mistreatment of others, we are sowing seeds that will produce a fruit. And it ain't going to produce the fruit we want. So what do we do? We seek the truth. We seek what God, uh, what God wants and we sow those seeds. When we're sowing truth, we reap good fruit. But when we're sowing lies or falseness or selfishness or things that are part of the world system, we will produce weeds. Be transformed. Don't be conformed. Implying what? We could. Don't be stained by the world. We could be. Again, I don't want to create some sort of paranoia kind of go build a compound kind of concept. But I want us as a people to be wrestling with whether or not our way of life is embracing a worldly system instead of a godly system. That the way we behave, the way we relate to God, the way we understand God, the way we relate to one another, whether we're embracing wrong ideology or thoughts about God and how we do that. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and encourage with every form of patient instruction. For the time will come when men will not tolerate sound doctrine, but with itching ears they will gather around themselves teachers to suit their own desires. So they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. One of the things that's really fascinating about the African culture, and I, you know, Africa's a big place, so I'm sure there's exceptions, but particularly in South Africa where we've done a lot of work, is they take the gospel and they merge it with the worship of ancestors. So you've got this whole thing where you praise Jesus and sacrifice a cow and go to the witch doctor. Not exaggerating. That's true. And so we, there's, there's a merging of things. And so they, they lay hold of the gospel and there's some liberty that comes with it. But then they start absorbing a false thing from the world around, from the worldly system, from the domain that is ruled over by the evil one. They take in that thinking, that religion, those what they consider to be true, and they make an attempt to blend them together into this strange religion. And yet the scripture teaches us to test and see and keep from being stained by. And what is that? Okay, I'll just let you think about this. In your American concept, how do, in our world, what does that look like? What does it mean for us in our context to be bringing in an idolatrous thing and making it a part of our faith? I think one of the biggest things is that we are God. I'm my own God. I'm my independent authority. Nobody tells me what to do. I'm the one I need to make happy. Jesus died only for me and nobody else. All this kind of, this, someone used the word narcissistic this week, and I was like, yeah, I like that word. This narcissistic thinking, it's all about me. And so I'm going to adopt thinking that makes me happy. I'm going to take on practices that I just feel like are okay because it's going to make me happy to do this. I'm going to go ahead and give myself license to sin because God has grace. 
I'm going to go ahead and take the truth and I'm going to change it to mean something that it hasn't meant in 2,000 years so that my ideas can work. I'm God. It's not easy to interpret the Scripture. It's not easy to come to conclusions and derive truth. There are a lot of things that are very difficult for us. But we, are, we know that we're called. This is where the relationship, I want to bring, it, bring us back to this idea of the relationship with God. This is where our relationship with God is an imperative component of our journey. You can become a scholar of the Scripture and not know God, you're going to be in big trouble. Because we can take the Scripture and kill people with it. Destroy their lives. Condemn. Destroy. Or we can actually do what it teaches us to do and be like Jesus. John himself said, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Both. And when he ran into situations where people were misbehaving, did he stone them? No. Did he bring forgiveness to them? Yes, he did. And did he condone their behavior? No, he did not. Jesus navigated this well. He's our example. Because we're in the world and not of it, and there's a tension there that we need to wrestle with. Okay, I need to wrap it up here. I have said these things to you, this is Jesus talking, that in me you may have peace. Ah, sounds nice. In the world you have tribulation. Take heart. In that system, in that sinful nature, in that world with all of its messed up stuff, in that brokenness and the heartache and the weakness and everything, you're going to have tribulation. Kind of blows away the idea that once I become a Christian, I'll never have problems again, doesn't it? No, we will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. He's made a way. And in our days in this flesh, we will struggle. And the day will come when we stand with him in glory in a different world, a new heaven and a new earth, having left behind these things. And then I want to wrap up chapter 15 of John. Everybody say amen. Thank you, JR, for finally finishing with John 15. But when the helper comes, this is how Jesus concludes this whole thing about being persecuted and the world hating you and the world hating me and all those kind of things. He says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he said to the Father, Hey, send my spirit. Send the Holy Spirit to be with my people. And the Spirit of God came and dwelt with man. And so when we're reading our scripture and we're pursuing the truth and we're relating to one another and we're worshiping together and we're preaching and we're at work and everything we find ourselves doing, we have the mind of Christ right inside of us, accessible and with us to help us navigate really what is true. He is the Spirit of truth. And in our tension of wrestling with all of these things, we have God himself right there inside of us to bring us into an understanding of what his heart is in the circumstances we find ourselves and in our interpretation of Scripture and with our choice of words and our exercising of the gifts. He's right there. Would you stand, please? Is that it? I guess I'm done. This morning I want to pray. And I want to particularly pray for those of you that um, have found yourself feeling like you're stuck in that world system. You're trapped by your sin. 
You're trapped in difficulty. You're having a hard time comprehending who God is and all of this. I just, would the prayer team, whoever our prayer team is, would you guys come down in the front here, please? I'm going to, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything like that in this, but I'm going to pray, and I want you to pray with me. Not, not necessarily out loud, but in your heart, receive the, what I'm praying. Make it for yourself. If you are struggling with worldly things, if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with whether or not God cares about you at all, if you're struggling trying to find the truth in some situation, that I would encourage you to, to pray with me in your heart as I pray. And then please come receive prayer. These guys would love to pray with you today when, as we wrap up the service. So Lord, come before you this morning humble, knowing that we don't have all the answers. We're not as brilliant as we think we are sometimes. <laughs> We're messed up. We're desperate. The world has corrupted all of us in some way. We all wrestle with sin and darkness. We all wrestle with evil and want to be in your freedom. We want to be in your grace. We want chains to fall off. We want to find peace. But the world is trying to stain us and lay chains on us and capture our hearts and draw us into wickedness things that are out of alignment with you. Lord, we don't, we don't want to become aligned just because we want to just do the right thing. But we want to come into alignment because we know that you love us, that you have a love for us, that you're wanting to lavish that grace and love upon us, that you did all of this not rolling your eyes and shaking your finger, but with arms wide open to receive those that would accept you with a loving kindness. So Lord, I pray for all of those, all of us really. God, we are struggling with sin all the time. We're struggling with good and evil and what to do and how to be a witness for you and how to be a light, how to bring life into the situations we find ourselves. But God, I pray specifically for those who feel as though there's chains on them, chains of the world, attaching them to an old life, attaching them to addiction, attaching them to false thinking, false doctrines, or misunderstandings, or unforgiveness. God, I pray today as they pray in faith, Lord, and receive this prayer, Lord, that you would break those chains in their lives and bring them into that, that wide open and spacious place you call us to, that freedom, that freedom, Lord. To pray that you would continue to transform us, God, and give us wisdom in how to live in this world how to represent you well in the world. Pray that you bless each one today. In Jesus' name, amen.